Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kian Bexty. If you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber that gets you access to the video version of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, and as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to therebel.media slash shows and become a member. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Sheila Gunn-Reed has some unbelievable data to share from her latest federal government access to information request pertaining to how the feds looked upon the United We Roll convoy and Antifa, both of which visited Ottawa last February. Guess what? Apparently the feds had trouble figuring out who the bad guys were. And Kian Bexty recently visited the Calgary Stampede. Not that Justin Trudeau bothered to show up. That's not his kind of diversity. And then there's that Calgary pro football player who told Kian that cowboy culture is a conspiracy. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding professional spokes thingy, Amanda Galbraith, who took to Twitter to complain that a bunch of construction workers a cat called her. Uh, no, that's not right. Rather, they looked at her. Kinda, maybe, perhaps. I guess it was all an optical delusion. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. When the convoy finally got to Ottawa, no one, not a single person from the Liberal government bothered to meet with them. Westerners and their supporters drove thousands upon thousands of kilometers across the country, and no one from the Liberals seemed to care. But at the Rebel, we suspected that a failure to meet with the convoy didn't mean that the government was not concerned about the convoy. So we filed an access to information request to see what the government and those bureaucrats, specifically those in the Prime Minister's inner circle, were saying about United We Roll. Almost immediately, once the bureaucrats in the Privy Council office realized that Glenn Carrot and the gang were serious about bringing their concerns and their trucks to Ottawa, the Privy Council office crisis management team started taking the lead with regard to security and intelligence planning. The crisis management team started watching media reports for anything about the convoy, in particular, the bad things that were being reported about the convoy in the mainstream media, like the implication that they were part of some sort of racist anti-immigrant bunch of wackos. Yeah, red alert, a convoy of taxpaying Canadians peacefully stating their displeasure with federal government policies, creating pipeline paralysis, and a couple of bills that seek to advance the paralysis to all-out rigor mortis. Yeah, that's a problem. But in the meantime, anti-colonialist protesters, a.k.a. Antifa, 
Well, nothing to be concerned about here, folks, because although they don't have permits and they have a tendency to get violent, Antifa, you see, is anti-pipeline, and the eyes of the Trudeau liberals, this makes them the good guys. Oh, joining me now is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Sheila. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. If it looks like I'm in a sewer, that's because I am in a, a filthy, dirty warehouse where they hosted this media freedom conference in the UK right now, and people are tearing stuff down all around me. That, that's right. You're at the Defend uh, Press Freedom Conference over in the UK, mm -hmm. uh, which is um, an Orwellian way to suggest how do we censor and limit press freedom. Oh, my goodness. And and I know we're, uh, Ezra's going to be doing a couple of shows on that, so that's going to be very well covered off. And I've got a ton of questions for you when you get back. But in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, Sheila, what you uncovered in your latest access to information request is shocking. But then again, is it really? I mean, this is the same government that has a soft spot for the likes of Omar Khadr and Joshua Boyle. Yeah, that's an interesting thing I uh, found out. Uh, we got just 20 pages back from uh, the Privy Council office, so the bureaucrats around Justin Trudeau, when we filed for access to information about the planning of Joshua Boyle's visit to Justin Trudeau. And I got back over 200 pages, mostly um, security planning uh, for the visit for the United We Roll convoy to Ottawa. Um, these guys were really treated like they were uh, a serious potential security threat to any and all of the ministries. Um, and, you know, the potential for violence against them was sort of laughed off by bureaucrats who um, became aware of Antifa uh, threatening to show up. And we know they did because they broke Kean Bexty's equipment when he was covering the convoy, they laughed it off and they called it a quote-unquote fun bit. Yeah, a fun bit. So hilarious. I'm still slapping my knee about it. Mm. I actually witnessed that. I mean, I didn't actually eyewitness the person that did it, but I heard the aftermath. I was there with our cameraman, Efren, uh, on a frigid cold day. I mean, and that, mm -hmm. that was the thing, you know, going back to February, Sheila. It was absolutely brutally cold. These people, as part of the United We Roll uh, convoy, traveled thousands of kilometers. If anybody should have been fighting mad, it was them. I'd be uh, kind of peeved off after such a long road trip uh, going to frigid Ottawa. But the thing is, I've got to ask you a question, Sheila. When or when is Antifa going to be designated a terrorist group? Because I'm going to tell you this, if Antifa were a right of center, hate and violent group, they would have been designated that years ago. Yeah, I mean, we just have to look at um, how Public Safety Canada and Ralph Goodale, how they focus on right-wing extremism. That's all they'll ever talk about. Now, they won't talk about Islamic extremism, but they focus on right-wing extremism when journalists, and, and not just us, I mean, it happens to us all the time. We get threats from Antifa. Um, you get punched out by madmen who, who run hotels. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing happens to us all the time. But it even happens to mainstream journalists. Um, we saw it happen in Montreal, I believe, to some global reporters and Stan, the Toronto Sun photographer, 
he was also attacked by Antifa. Now, when that happens, there's sort of like a, a quick little blow up about violence against journalists, but they never really focus on the fact that it's Antifa doing it, that it is this group of far left-wing agitators that are doing it. They never come out and say it, and they never really focus on just where the real violence against journalists is coming from. Nobody in the powers that be really seem to care that Antifa is making Canadian streets far less safe. And, and you know, Sheila, I mean, we've talked about this before, the absolute perverse irony of that name, Antifa, of course, is a contraction of being anti-fascist, but they employ all the methodology of fascists. So they're not Antifa, they're simply fa, fa for fascist. <laughs> and I mean, they yeah. seem to be, and I guess the mollycoddling bureaucrats and government people and certain people in the media, they seem to be blind to this perverse irony because as you stated in your report, there was a media narrative uh, that they wanted to pursue about depicting United We Roll as the um, as the bad guys, as you know, some sort of I, I don't know anti-immigration group, and meanwhile Antifa was treated with kid gloves. We're going to put the United We Roll guys on that frozen patch of real estate back then, which was the lawns of Parliament Hill. But the Antifa kids, well, they get the snow shoveled, uh, cleared uh, pavement area. I mean. This is madness, Sheila, in terms of where the government or how the government is directing law enforcement and security to deal with groups, one being nonviolent taxpayers and the other being very violent agitators. Well, and let's think for a second here about how much that oft-repeated media line uh, that we saw being planned out by the Liberals, how that played into the violence that day. You've got a bunch of people who call themselves anti-fascists. Now they're just basically LARPers living in a basement somewhere. But they really truly believe that they are freedom fighters fighting racism. And then they go around looking for racists to fight. And on the other hand, you have the liberal government painting honest, good, decent, hardworking Canadian men and women who just want to go to work as racists. They're giving Antifa the boogeyman they need, and in the middle, being scapegoated and caught in the middle of all this violence, are the United We Roll people. They're just honest people fighting for families like mine, being threatened with violence on one side and being maligned as racist on the other side. It's just despicable. And the way Antifa tried to generate the fake news about this being an anti-immigration uh, movement, Sheila, I, I was there and, and Efron caught on camera, you know, you see some of the signs, no one is illegal, everybody welcome. And how's this for perverse irony? I was actually laughing out loud. There was a native as part of the Antifa group amidst all these signs saying no no one is illegal, everyone welcome, and he was chanting over and over to the pipeline, uh, you know, uh, rather to the United We Roll um, protesters, go back to England. Well, wait a minute, I thought everyone's welcome. <laughs> I mean, they go against their own narrative. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, and then you get, you know, uh, uh, protesters, you know, anti-colonialism, Aboriginal protesters who are protesting uh, oil and gas, which, as we know, oil, gas, and mining, they're the largest 
employers of First Nations across the country. Um, it, for many First Nations, especially in Alberta's north, it's the ticket out of poverty. Some of the largest companies in the oil patch are Aboriginal run. The Miccosu Cree First Nation is a great example of that. So you have anti-fascist lunatics in Ottawa protesting against the jobs of Aboriginal people in Canada's north. It, it doesn't make any sense, but it just speaks to how clueless the anti-fascist movement really is. Oh, 100%. I, I want to clear up any misconception that I was throwing natives into the same no. boat as Antifa, no. because while this was going on, there was a native standing right beside me. And I said, I said to him, what do you make of this? And he said the same word you used, uh, uh, Sheila, to his, uh, his fellow native. He's a lunatic you know, because <laughs> he wants to work in the oil patch. These are good jobs, high paying jobs. It's to get you out of the dependency that some reserves uh, are, you know, are so dependent on. And uh, I, another uh, perversely ironic point, uh, the Antifa uh, kids, if we can call them that, um, yeah. They certainly hate the uh, oil patch and they hate the idea of pipelines, but wow, do they make use of products that have come out of uh, oil all the way from their polypropylene uh, jackets to the cell phones they use. I wonder how they would like it living in a Canada in February without oil, Sheila. Well, I, I'm sure after they wrapped up their protest on Parliament Hill, they went back to a well-heated basement um, <laughs> where where their mom cooked them craft dinner on a stove made of fossil fuel. And the craft dinner came to their mom um, on a truck fueled by fossil fuel. So, I mean, it, they don't even have a clue how much they use fossil fuels in their real life. But they are the first people I suspect that would die without them. Yeah, but you know, Sheila, it's one thing for uh, their mothers and grandmothers out of, uh, you know, motherly love giving them this kind of uh, creature comfort treatment. It's egregious that our bureaucrats and our government is also mollycoddling these thugs, and that's what they are. And hopefully they'll get to a certain maturity where they grow out of this and realize that this was just a stupid little phase of their life and they get a real-world vision. But one last question, Sheila, because uh, this really had my, made me scratch my head. It's a small point, but it, to me it was inexplicable. You noticed how um, they censored in the Freedom of Information request how many Antifa people were there, but you know, somebody was asleep at the switch. They let a one page slip by where they used the number 100. Why would um, the reporting to us, you know, the, the, the disclosure of this information, rather, Sheila, that there were around 100 Antifa, why in the world would that be considered sensitive in order to censor in the first place? Well, I think because earlier in that access to information package, they're joking about Antifa. They're joking. It's a fun bit that these counter protesters are coming uh, to meet United We Roll. So they're laughing off the threat to the United We Roll guys. So I guess that's why they wanted to obscure just how big that threat really was to these truckers that converged on Parliament Hill. They had 100 people at least clad in black and looking to punch Nazis and they had the liberal government basically calling those people the racist that Antifa were looking for. Uh, I don't get it. Well, listen, Sheila, um, we got to wrap it here. 
I hope whatever remains of uh, Defend uh, medium free, Media Freedom Conference uh, goes smoothly. Uh, I, I'm concerned. I'm looking at that warehouse. It looks so ominous. It, it's like a, uh, you know, a set out of the Saw series of movies. This wasn't a trap for, for you and Ezra and Andrew Lott, was it? You're going you're gonna to get out of there li alive and safe and sound, I hope, right? <laughs> David, there's not even a window where daylight can come into here. <laughs> You're <It> scaring me. <laughs> very depressing here, but there's a lot to be depressed about. <laughs> well, if you see anyone with clown makeup and a cleaver uh, or a goldie mask and a chainsaw, get out of Dodge, Sheila. Those are bad signs. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for your report, as always, Sheila. Thanks, David. Great. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed all the way from the UK. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. We're, we're the last frontier to be conquered. We're a, a central part of a Canadian identity, and I think it's ridiculous not to do so. As a prime minister, you should be here celebrating with us. Stampede is like part of Alberta, and he's pretty much just ignoring Alberta by not being here. Well, it's, it's the best culture of them all, quite simply. Oh. Did you just say Western culture is the best culture? <laughs> That's just who we are, you know? That's, you know, Calgary, Alberta's kind of founded, a foundation, and just who we are, we gotta keep it going, you know? Pass it on. Oh, it just goes back to Calgary's like the way old Calgary started, like like back like hundred and something years ago, like when they first started this. Like rodeo, it's it's a huge part of Calgary. Every every like every year, like almost every permanent resident comes out. Like I don't know, it's just ingrained in us. Well, it's just part of our heritage. I mean, keep it going. <laughs> yeah. I want to know why you think it's important to preserve Western culture and cowboy culture. I think it's not. It's really important because it's been a part of our history for years and I feel like cowboys are just really hated on for no reason and you know they're people too you know you don't have to be redneck to be a cowboy it can be for one week it can be for two days and you're a cowboy you know why is it important to preserve Western culture it's not I think we should embrace all cultures okay, but cowboy culture in particular we're at the stampede why is it important cowboy culture is fake isn't cowboy culture made up? One of them made in movies and stuff like that. What do you think the stampede's real? What's cowboys it? in general. I think the rest of it is real, but I don't think cowboys are real. Cowboys are fake. They're a, they're a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Big conspiracy theory. Okay, so while most people profess their love for the Calgary Stampede and cowboys and Western culture. There were exceptions to the rule. Canadian Football League player Mike Rose thinks that cowboy culture is a conspiracy, even though he plays for the Calgary Stampeders. And joining me now for more on that celebration of cowboy culture known as the Calgary Stampede is our roving reporter, Kian Buckaroo Bexty. Welcome to Rebel <laughs> Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me, David. Always a pleasure. You know, Kian, I wonder, since the Calgary Stampeders Football Club actually celebrates Western culture with the logo of that galloping Bronco on their helmets, can we now expect Mike Rose to pull a Colin Kaepernick and take a knee until the team gets rid of that odious logo? Well, I, I mean, I, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> like, what are you doing, bud? Like, so he, he's playing for... Uh, a Canadian team. He's an American. He comes to Canada to play in our football league, presumably because he's not good enough to play in the NFL. <laughs> and then when he comes here, he 
you know, dumps on our culture. You know, the, the Calgary Stampede is more than just dressing up as a cowboy. It is a huge economic engine of our city. It employs thousands of Calgarians. Um, and there is this cultural aspect to it that every Calgarian and every Albertan can get behind. It's not just a Calgarian event. Uh, farmers and agriculturalists from around uh, all of Alberta come to participate in competitions and events, and it's a serious part of their lifestyle. And uh, city slickers in, in Calgary enjoy uh, partaking in these events and learning how farmers operate around Canada and particularly in Alberta. And the fact that this uh, athlete doesn't understand that or doesn't appreciate that, it makes me think he should be playing for a different team. And you know, Ken, you know what I found was sort of perversely ironic? He had that delightful North Carolinian uh, twang, and he sounded the most of all the people you interviewed like the stereotypical Hollywood cowboy. But you know, what, I, what I'm trying to piece together, I'm trying to connect the dots here, Kian. Um, he called, you know, the idea, uh, I guess, of the Wild West a conspiracy, like it's only uh, a Hollywood invention. Now, Granted, the period of the Wild West, in terms of historical times, uh, it was a very uh, compressed time frame. We're talking about the latter part of the 1800 died out in the early days of the, 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 the 19th century. Yet, it did exist. There were cowboys, there were ranch hands, there were saloons, there were gunfights at the OK Corral. So, what is he talking about that, you know, he's buying into conspiracy culture, much like the moon landing didn't happen and 9-11 was an inside job? Is that what he's saying about an entire period of history? <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. I mean, what I think he was saying was that cowboys in modern day are a myth, which is patently false. Uh, sure, there's no shootouts in saloons these days, but... Uh, the Calgary Stampede is the most cityified rodeo in probably Canada. If you take a step outside of the city and go to any rodeo in a small town, uh, the Rockyford Rodeo is a great example. Um, it's you know it's a real celebration of the culture. Uh, real rodeo athletes come to take part in these events and compete, uh, and it's a part of their lifestyle. And it's a part of the community. It's part of the fabric of the community, and he doesn't grasp that. I think he doesn't. He he very well might believe that this is all sort of a joke, uh, but it's not. Wow! Um, I would invite him to my farm to come uh, to branding next spring, and uh, then he'll see if it's a conspiracy when he has to treat some scours. Well, I'll tell you, Ken, he, he better get with the program when he plays for the Calgary Stampeders. The next step down on the football hierarchy is, uh, I guess, arena football. So, you know, I think he's got a pretty good, all things considered. But the other notable um, thing about your commentary, of course, Kian, is the absence of Justin Trudeau. I mean, that suggests a couple of things to me that... Um, in terms of time management, and he might be right, this might be good strategy, the West is a write-off uh, in terms of any liberal inroads, so why waste time in a no-hoper zone? But the other thing, too, is that it kind of bothers me, we'll have this Prime Minister, like he did last year, go over to India and dress up as an Indian, being completely oblivious to that narrative of cultural appropriation, but to go over in his own backyard to Calgary, put a cowboy hat on and a pair of cowboy boots, no, nah, yeah, he, he wouldn't lower himself to that. that. That's basically my take on it, Kian. 
I agree with that. And I think that it's time that Albertans and folks in Saskatchewan uh, and even Northern British Columbia come to accept that this government is simply not a government for them. This government isn't operating in Calgary's best interests. It's not operating in Edmonton or Saskatoon or Regina's best interests. It just doesn't care about us. Um, he, it, it seems that Justin Trudeau has you know, one or two elected MPs in each of these cities. In Calgary, he only has one, Kent Hare. In Regina, he has Ralph Goodale. And they, he just has these token seats. And I think, honestly, I think that he's written it off. And if I was those MPs, I would be a little bit hurt because Kent Hare needs all the help that he can get. And he's certainly not getting it from his leader and from our prime minister. So uh, I guess it's time that Albertans accept that they are, you know, a colony of the East. And it's unfortunate, but uh, it's, it's what we have to accept with this prime minister. Yeah, you know, you make an excellent point there, Key, in that um, uh, Trudeau is safe in his Montreal writing and, uh, you know, uh, lording over us in Ottawa. But like for those liberal MPs, those outliers in the West, it's like, hey, hey, we're, we're on a life raft here floating in the yeah. Pacific. We could use a little help, but uh, can't be bothered. You know, you know, it was refreshing in your streeters um, and it was a, a very diverse crowd. The vast majority of them uh, loving cowboy culture, loving Western culture, but in addition to uh, Mike Rose of the Stampeders, there was the uh, presumably Muslim woman, certainly she was dressed as one, who thought it wasn't worth celebrating Western culture and cowboy culture. And I thought, you know, that's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're living in Western culture. I mean, if you, you have such distaste for it, why don't you choose to live in, say, the Middle East? Well, David, you have your own experience with this. Uh, when you went to the Al Quds Festival, I <laughs> yeah. think this was a very similar interaction, although not as you know bombastic as that fellow was, but just as honest. They're not here to celebrate our culture and partake in our culture and join it and uh, participate it in it in good faith. They're here to change it. Um, and I don't want to say they is you know. A stereotyping a whole group of people but um there are there it's without a doubt and i'm going to tread carefully here without a doubt there was a segment of the population that i interviewed that had very similar answers to her um and in the editing of that video it just looked so you know you just had to read between the lines and and see who it was that was not very happy to be celebrating Western culture, perhaps they just came to go on the merry-go-round, uh, but we had we had to trim it down a little bit. Uh, so that was the only taste of it that we got. But there was plenty more uh, instances like that, like that girl in the hijab who uh, doesn't want to participate in Western culture uh, that we cut because you know, we just wanted to focus on the positives there, so. You know, Kian, that's disheartening, and I didn't know uh, what was on the editing room floor, so to speak. Um, it's disheartening because that, to me, suggests the answer to the question, if you don't like Western culture, why are you here? The answer is, well, we're here because we're going to change Western culture. And I think that is the huge question moving forward, and I don't have the answer, and I, and I don't want to come across as a Pollyanna here, but I think when it comes to those, particularly of the Islamic faith, this is going to go one of two ways. Um, there's going to be increasing demands for the Shariaization of the West as they live in the West. Or, on the flip side, Kian, 
you will have, say, young teenage girls that are going to a school, they're immersed in Western culture, they're listening to Western music, they see their classmates wearing jeans and tank tops, they don't want to you know, shroud themselves in fabric coffins and they're going to say to their parents, no, I'm not into that, I, I want to be like my friends. These are the two alternatives and only time will tell uh, in terms of the near or even far future which way we're going to go. What's your gauge on this, my friend? I, you know, I, this is such uh, murky water for me. I usually don't talk about this kind of stuff. So it's like, I'm trying to walk a line here, but you know, I, I think that Calgarians need to be concerned. I think Canadians need to be concerned that the immigration that we have in this country is benefiting our country and is not a, a mechanism of international charity in its entirety. Um, because when you when you have the, uh, an immigration system that doesn't serve the country, um, you you bring in people that might not be as interested as in living in the Canada that they came to, as they are in colonizing Canada in in a way that many in the left say was done 150 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something to be concerned about. And I think that's that's something that many people don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable. Hell, I'm uncomfortable talking about it myself, but it's it's not something that can be ignored. Well, it's a hard reality. And maybe somebody, some people would say I'm a bigot, but the saying is indeed, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, not when in Rome, let's renovate Rome to our liking. But exit question, uh, uh, Key, and overall, Calgary Stampede 2019, uh, any takeaway points, anything exceptional, anything uh, that stood out uh, this year for you at the uh, fair? Well, we have yet to see the finals. Uh, there's, of course, one more weekend before the rodeo finals wrap up. I, uh, I recommend that everyone, whether or not they've uh, had a history of watching rodeo or the Chucks, uh, to, to tune in. It's, you know, it's on, uh, I'm not sure what channel it's on, but if you are in Calgary, of course, go see it in person. If you are not, it's definitely on TV. Uh, it's, it's one of the most exciting sporting events that you can watch full stop. And it's certainly much more interesting than women's FIFA. So if you watch that, you're in for a real treat. Yep, Sports Illustrated nailed it a long time ago. The most exciting eight seconds in sport when you see these guys on bulls and bucking broncos. And uh, I'm speaking from experience, and I have the hospital bill to show to prove it. Uh, when I was in Smoky Lake, Alberta, when I was starting out in my journalism career back in 1985, I did a little George Plimpton-style journalism by riding what was then the champion bu bucking bull of Alberta. I lasted two and a half seconds. It felt like wow. an eternity. <laughs> well, you, did, you know what? Actually, at the Stampede, there was also, uh, <laughs> speaking of things that you've done, there was a tractor pull. Uh, oh. And I know that you were just recently at one. Uh, this was this was a vintage tractor pull, though. So it was it was before Massey Ferguson was even created. It was just a bunch of old, old, old tractors uh, pulling pulling the skid across the arena. It was excellent watching, uh, but it, they weren't as souped up as yours were out in Ontario. Well, then I'll, we'll end it there. Then, um, uh, Kian, uh, not only did Trudeau not show up, but obviously. Climate Barbie wouldn't be caught dead in a place where those kind of emissions are going up into the sky. So, of course not. and I say, who needs them? Anyways, fantastic video as always, Kian, and uh, uh, thanks for uh, weighing in with your opinions as always. <laughs> thanks for having me, David. You got it. And that was Kian Bexty out in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
Anyway, Amanda, who likens herself to animated princesses on her Twitter feed, is walking down Richmond Street in broad daylight, I tell you, and she was brutally sexually assaulted. And Amanda, being a communications professional, she tweeted about it, about how Toronto the good became Toronto the terrible. Here goes, quote, I just walked through around a dozen men lining the sidewalk at 85 Richmond Street. They didn't say a word, but they openly leered at me. I felt so uncomfortable. I did not make eye contact. I don't know who runs this site, see photo, but this is not okay, end quote. How can this be? Those men, they leered at precious Amanda, moon of my life, my sun, my stars, my Khaleesi. Oh, what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Oh, the toxic masculinity of it all. Look at them, just looking at her. Damn it. No Gillette shavers for those insensitive sons of bitches. Oh, alas and alack, welcome to the historical accounting of Toronto's Day of Infamy by Amanda Galbraith, Mayor John Tory's former spokesingy and now a PRBS artist with Navigator. Because recently Amanda was assaulted. Okay, well, not assaulted. She was stared at, maybe. By her own words, she wasn't making eye contact. But regardless, Amanda thought she might have perhaps kind of been looked at by some construction workers. And wouldn't you know it, in this post-Me Too era, construction company PCL is launching an investigation. Oh, there will be blood to appease this snowflake survivor. Because that's how we roll these days, implementing punishment for thought crimes that might have occurred. Oh, where's that asteroid already? In any event, here's what some of you had to say about precious Amanda enduring the worst day of her life ever. Cat Lubber writes, so a woman is offended by attention then seeks attention by posting about it on Twitter. Mass insanity has swept Western culture. Indeed, remember the good old days when flirting wasn't a federal crime? And by good old days, folks, I'm going back to the 1990s. Remember that Nissan Toys commercial that was proclaimed ad of the year by Time Magazine in 1996? Well, methinks the likes of Amanda Galbraith would need grief counseling if she were to view this ad today. <laughs> The toxic masculinity of Action Man. Oh, the carbon footprint of the sports car. Oh, the sexualization of a tarted up Barbie. Oh, no way that ad airs today, folks, because the likes of Amanda Galbraith would likely organize a boycott of Neeson. Troy Koning writes, Narcissistic personality disorder and the I'm so blanking special generational delusions. Well, you named it, Troy, for Amanda is part of a generation that used to be 
parodied on Saturday Night Live. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Alan Kane writes, like Trudeau says, men with yellow vests and hard hats are a threat to women in general. Why can't we all be super feminists like Trudeau? Yes, like Amanda, Justin thinks those men who do all the heavy lifting out there and build stuff, they're the ones that should be maligned. The Prime Minister's statement was a clear attack on some of the hardest working Canadian and dedica working dedicated Canadians. So for the Prime Minister to, to directly attack these men and insinuate that they are dangerous to women in rural communities is unconscionable and diminishes the high office that he holds. Not to mention people in groping glass houses should not throw stones. So again, will the Prime Minister stand and apologize for what he said Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, we take very seriously the responsibility of creating safe workplaces, uh, of supporting uh, all people in communities to ensure that they have uh, opportunities to contribute, opportunities to find good jobs, opportunities uh, to grow their, their communities in safety and security. That is something we are going to continue to focus on. I will take no lessons from the Conservative Party on how to build safer, more inclusive communities. Yep, there you have it, a fake feminist prime minister who doesn't directly answer questions. In other words, a dream date for Amanda Galbraith. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.